Did you kind of get the gist of where I was at? Okay, okay. Um, I thought, man, you guys need to be stirred up. I've been preaching hard, and you guys come and sit there looking at me like, what's, what's he saying? But I understand now. But it's not that we don't have any heat, but we're not the fire that we could be if we got stirred up. But you have to understand, that's a two-way street because once you've been stirred up, it does create problems. Because once you're stirred up, you're going to find it uncomfortable to be around dead people. That's why you'll never find me hanging around cemeteries and mortuaries and mausoleums. You know why? I ain't dead. I don't like those places. And if you have been sitting in spiritual mortuaries, in tuned with religious indifference, hanging out with dead people, you are going to lose your fire. If Christ is in you and the hope of glory, there ought to be a stirring down in your soul. Now, another problem is people don't like you when you're stirred up because they think you're a fanatic. They think you're a lunatic. I mean, when Starla loses her mind and gets blessed up here on the platform and start, starts dancing, there are people that think she's crazy. And there are people right now who think that you are crazy to be here on your only day off. They think you ought to be out fishing or golfing or even sleeping off last night. They have no concept of what in the world you get out of all this. But they would if they ever got stirred up by the power of the Holy Ghost. But see, when you're stirred up, that's what they don't get. They don't understand that that's why they don't get on your nerves at work on Monday because when you're stirred up, you're illuminated, excited, intensified, and motivated to go back into the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from you. We need to be stirred up. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle Paul begins to talk to Timothy about his ancestry of faith. And Paul says, your grandmother Lois had faith. Your mama Eunice had faith. Then Paul said, I'm persuaded that same faith is down in you. Paul saying, you know, Tim, some of that church stuff that you thought was silly when you were a kid, you know those things when you were younger that you rebelled against, the very stuff that made you think your mom and your grandma were crazy? Well, now that you've experienced a little bit of life, some of that faith has been transferred down into you. Well, you see, a few years ago, there was a trend in some circles to blame every sin and every problem that we had on some sort of generational curse. Well, that's not biblical. You know, just because you sneeze, that's not a demon tickling your nose. That's not biblical. But we have all seen how prevalent sins that seem to be predictable sins have moved down through the generations of some families. It is true that certain propensities do exist in certain families to exhibit certain things. For example, have you ever seen a cute family? I mean, everyone in the family looks good. All the sisters, all the brothers look good, and here comes grandma looking like a fox. They're a cute family. I've known families, and they were all athletes. They were all athletic. There are families that, that are full of lawyers. Dad was a lawyer, his brother was a lawyer, and the son's in law school, and the whole family has the ability to grasp intellectual concepts, and they all become attorneys. 
And then what about the Jackson 5? Or the Osmond family? I mean, all those jokers can sing. All of them. Well, except maybe for the chubby little brother in the Osmond family. He doesn't sing very well. He may be adopted, I'm not sure. But the rest of them, they can all sing. And so certain families have propensities to certain things. Well, and sadly, some families also have propensities to certain problems. Everyone in the family got a divorce. Certain families have proclivities to alcoholism. And those who don't drink in excess end up on drugs. There have been families who have been involved in domestic abuse for generations. Grandpa abused grandma, daddy abused mama. So, sweetheart, if you're dating junior, you better watch out. A word to the wise. But now these are types of generational curses. But I want you to know, though, that through the power of Jesus Christ, we can break these curses, and you can tell the devil, you will not get my generation. Satan, I will fight you tooth and toenail all day long. You will not do to me what you did to my father. Jesus has the power to break every chain. Some of you ought to stay married just to spite the devil. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you need to tell the devil, I'm going to start a new tradition in my house. In the name of Jesus, this curse will be broken. But what I really want to get to are generational blessings. The faith that's been passed down from generation to generation. Deuteronomy 28.4 says that the fruit of your body will be blessed. When God blesses you, that means he blesses your descendants. All you pregnant women need to be rubbing your belly, saying you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. From the soles of your feet to that soft spot on your little head, you're blessed. Even if you're not pregnant, you ought to lay hands on yourself and say, I am blessed in the name of Jesus from the crown of my head to the blisters on my toes. My body is blessed. Heart, you are blessed. Tissue, cells, membrane, you are blessed. Brain, you are blessed in the name of Jesus. There will be no cancer. There will be no infection. There will be no disease. My entire body is blessed in the name of Jesus. God's plan, God's plan is that everything connected to you should be blessed. Accept it and stop fighting it because sooner or later, if you will yield your life to God, you will wake up and be blessed. So whatever happened to Timothy's grandma and mama, faith was passed down and it reproduced itself over and over again. Now the first peak we get of faith in God being passed down through generations is when God begins to deal with Abraham. And that's when Jehovah God becomes known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the God of your grandpa, the God of your daddy, and now he's your God. It's the faith in God that passes down. And what that means is, is that some of you sitting in here today are getting answers to prayers that your mama prayed. David said, my cup run, runs over. All that means is that's just your mama's cup spilling over into your saucer. God said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 11, I'm going to give you houses that you didn't build and vineyards that you didn't grow. 
Believe it or not, there are some things that those old folks did a long time ago, and they didn't see the reward from their prayers. But in you, the answer came, and you are experiencing your parents' dreams. If you think about it, you are driving and living in something that your grandparents could not even imagine. That's why I refuse to let anybody make me feel bad about how God has blessed me. On behalf of my ancestors, I receive this blessing from God in the name of Jesus Christ and in the name of my ancestors because they all prayed that I might be blessed. And so therefore, I refuse to walk away from what God has given me through answering their prayers. By the same token, you need to realize that some of the things that you've begun, you won't complete. But your kids will. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began. He began both to do and to teach. Jesus didn't finish it. He just began it. His teachings didn't end when Jesus left the earth. The apostles continued what Jesus began. You and I are continuing what Jesus began. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, because their works will follow them. And what that means is your works will continue to live in the lives of people that you have taught and influenced. I mean, how many of us here today are walking in our mama and daddy's wisdom? I am. I mean, still today, the older I get, the smarter my parents were. I realize that more and more every day. And some things that your folks taught you a long time ago, you're still using today. And so my point is this. Start blessing your kids, and long after you're gone, you will still be getting the last word in. Think about it. Well, you see, that was the faith of Lois and the faith of Eunice that they passed down to Timothy. You see, friend, not only did you pass your DNA to your kids, but also your conduct and your behavior and your faith in God. Now, they may not always receive it, but the seed has been planted. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. He didn't say nothing about the middle. The middle of those kids, they just go wormy all over the place. But in the end, because of the seed that you've planted, they will be faced with the decision that they have to decide if they're going to follow the God of their grandfather, their father, their mother, down into their heart. So don't give up. Don't quit praying. Your kids we'll have the opportunity to come back. And so Paul says, Timothy, your blessing, your faith was passed down from your grandma and your mama to you. And then Paul says in verse 6, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. Listen, Satan has spent all of your life trying to convince you that you didn't have anything down inside of you. He has tried to convince you that you are somehow less, somehow unable, somehow incapacitated, somehow less than other people. 
All your life, the devil had been pointing to all your weaknesses and failures to convince you that somehow there was nothing of value down inside of you. Well, I want you to know the devil is a liar. He is a liar. And when you start stirring up your gift from God, it announces that you know something is down inside of you. God did not create anything that was not gifted. God would not have brought you into this world without putting something significant down in you. Now, it may be buried underneath weakness. It may be hidden by troubles. It may be buried by what people said or what people did. But down beneath all the garbage you've had to experience in life, there is a treasure in the trash. There is a gifting placed by Almighty God inside of you. And if you think about it, isn't that really what the fight is all about? Isn't that what the battle is all about? I mean, that's why you've gone through all kinds of hell and high water and had to go through trouble and turmoil. Because the enemy wouldn't be fighting you if there wasn't something valuable down inside of you that he wanted to snuff out. And so I have the responsibility to stir up that gift. Now, I may have to break through some things to get it back. I may have to ignite my passion again. I may have to stir down into the ashes of all kind of dead stuff, but somewhere beneath all of those dead ashes, there is still a flame burning down inside me. Because really, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Sometimes this life will knock the wind out of you. It'll knock you on your backside. And so you've been through trouble and you've been through abuse. And perhaps the fire of your life looks a little ashy. Your life may look like death warmed over. But when you take the poker and stick it down in the ashes and the wind of the Holy Spirit gets a hold of it, you will ignite and it will stir up your gift. Listen, that person made a big mistake when they looked at you and said you would never amount to anything. Satan may have thought he left you for dead, but he is a liar, and there is still something down inside of you that God wants to use and God wants to stir up. And that's why you need to be in church on Sunday. I mean, I can get food for my belly anywhere, but food for my soul is another matter. You know, I don't know what it is about us, but it seems like our congregation can never come to church two weeks in a row. Now, I know I'm not talking to everybody. There's some of you who are here, you're faithful every time the door is open. But there is a segment of our congregation that they can't make it two weeks in a row. They come a week, then they think they need a week off. And if they come two weeks in a row because Christmas or Easter happens to fall on the second week when they were here the week before, oh my goodness, they need to take a month off. But you need to be careful what you feed your spirit. On Sunday, your spirit man can't get what he needs on the golf course or snoring or doing dishes or watching TV. We need to stop playing around because on Sunday, my soul needs to be stirred up so I can be an overcomer on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and especially on Saturday. Lord, stir me up. I don't want to go to the first church of the frigid air and sit on a row with a bunch of ice cubes. 
I don't want to go to a dead church where everyone smells like formaldehyde. I want to be in a church where the Spirit of God is moving with excitement and enthusiasm. So that means even if I do come to church on Sunday morning and I am kind of dead and crusty, by the time I leave here, the fire of the Holy Ghost has hit me and I will walk out of here saying, Devil, you better watch out. I'm coming after you. Okay, I'm through meddling. You know, we live here in Oklahoma, right? Which is known as what? Tornado Alley. Tornado Alley. And when a tornado moves through places, things, surroundings, I mean, even people move. The tornado rearranges things and wreaks havoc. But when it's all over, a lot of times, because of insurance, the people affected, they get new stuff. Well, it's similar because often in the process of being blessed by God, it's possible that sometimes you have to go through the havoc of getting rid of the old to be in position to receive the new. Now, it might be inconvenient. It might be uncomfortable. It might make you cry. But sometimes in order to get a shift in your life, you have to endure havoc so that you can have heaven over here even though you had to endure havoc over here. Have you ever gone from havoc to heaven? Sure you have. You know, those times you've been living in hell, but yet when God was through moving things around, you were praising God. You're saying, Lord, I'm so glad I went through that because now what I have is so much better than what I had before. See, I believe God used Saul to stir things up in Acts chapter 8. Because God often uses people to provoke us. In my own life, many times my Christian walk has been fortified because of the actions of my enemies. My prayer life was developed by affliction and rejection and opposition. But if things hadn't gone bad, I would have never learned the power of God and that he can be the fourth man in the fire. And I'm sure that's probably true for some of you. Matter of fact, if you think about it, you ought to give all of your enemies $10 and thank them for helping develop you into the person you are today. If I had 10, I'd give it to my sister, but I don't have a 10. But you see, when God gets ready to build people, he often sends enemies. In Exodus chapter 1, Jacob it was also known as Israel. He went into Egypt with just his family. But you see, they were fruitful and multiplied. But through the atrocity of slavery, the children of Israel eventually became a nation. And verse 12 explains the entire process in one sentence. The more the Egyptians afflicted the children of Israel, the more they multiplied and grew. The more they afflicted them, the more they grew. And there are some people in here right now, the more you were afflicted, the more you grew. You would have never been who you are right now if there had not been havoc in your life. I mean, I know, I know. I know you think I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I realize that. But you don't know what it was like living with my sister. You really don't. 
And you don't know what it was like for her having to live with me. <laughs> equal time, equal time. A couple of weeks ago when I preached, we talked about in Luke 24 when Jesus was going to send back to heaven. And we talked about that Jesus and the disciples went out as far as Bethany and Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed them. And he told the disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem. Go hang out in Jerusalem for a while. Well, then you go up to Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. And the word of God says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord in Jerusalem. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, divided tongues as a fire set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I think you will agree with me that was a great move of God. And any time God does something in a great way, we like to hang around those spots. We like to go back to where the revival used to be because it makes us feel comfortable. Gives us a warm and fuzzy about what happened before. But you see, when you study the word, even though Jerusalem, it was a blessing then, ultimately it became a tradition. I mean, it's amazing how quickly things can become a tradition because the disciples kept coming back to Jerusalem. They kept hanging out in Jerusalem. And you see, Mark chapter 7 says the traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. But you see, we like our traditions. You see, because it, we like to be comfortable and our traditions make us feel comfortable. I read on the internet so it has to be true that after 9-11, on average, after 9-11, on average, Americans put on 10 pounds of weight. And do you know why we put on 10 pounds of weight? Because we ate comfort food. We were upset and we ate comfort food. When people get upset, they start eating because they feel threatened and they want to feel comfortable and eating makes us feel comfortable. And all of a sudden they say, wouldn't it be good to have a pound cake? That sounds good. Or, hey, the red light's on. Let's go buy Krispy Kreme. They're hot. Man, I'd sure like some apple cobbler with vanilla ice cream. You know, you never, ever get stressed out and say, let's have some lettuce. No, you don't. I don't. You get upset. And when you get upset, what do you say? I want some fried chicken. I want some potatoes and gravy. And while you're at it, give me a big old piece of corn on the cob with butter dripping off of it. And to top it off, give me a big old glass of Diet Coke. Diet Coke? Well, you know what you do. You eat what you want, and then you hope the acid burns up some of the calories, right? But we develop comfortable things and we develop comfortable places like we, that we like to go back to when we're threatened. And so Jerusalem became the thing that the disciples kept going back to to feel comfortable. Well, God pushed them out of their comfort zone by sending Acts, sending Paul in Acts chapter 8 to stir things up. And Saul started wreaking havoc against the church in Jerusalem until it became uncomfortable for them to stay there any longer. And friend, in your life, God will make it uncomfortable for you to stay in comfortable places. 
He will increase your discomfort until it makes you get down on your knees and begin to pray. Listen to what Job 29, 18 says. I thought I would die in my nest. I mean, Job was fine. His kids were healthy. He was rich. His wife was good looking. He had good standing. He had a great reputation. He had it going on. And he said, I never thought anything would ever change. But man, wasn't he in for a shock? Why? God stirred up his nest. Let me quickly explain why the eagle stirs up her nest. When she's making her nest, she takes all the twigs, all the branches, and arranges them so carefully so that when the little eaglets arrive, they have a comfortable, warm first experience in this world. But then as Junior begins to stretch and grow, this same mama who made the nest comfortable begins to stir up the nest until all those twigs and branches and briars that were covered up are now sticking up. So that when little Junior tries to sit down, he can't because now his tush has a twig in it and the nest has become uncomfortable. They would never fly if the nest did not become uncomfortable. And God knows we would never go from faith to faith and glory to glory if he doesn't make our nest uncomfortable. So when God gets ready to push you out of your comfort zone to your next blessed zone, he's going to stir up your nest. So you need to understand that that, that tornado that hits your life, that it's not just a tornado, it's God stirring you up. And when God stirs up things in your life, it's only because he's getting ready to take you Someplace where you've never been. See, God has two doors for you, a shut door and an open door. And whenever God shuts the door, it's a sign that he's getting ready to open another door. And I guarantee you there are people here today that can tell you that they've seen doors shut. They've cried. They thought their life was over. They were so nervous they ate a lot of comfort food. But I can also tell you that they're not crying anymore because the next door that got opened was so much better than the one before. So what I'm trying to tell you, friend, is that that issue on your job isn't anything except God stirring things up to bless you. That layoff notice is not the end of your life. I know that you thought you were going to retire there, but God has sent a tornado to blow you into your next blessing. And God has an open door for you. And as soon as you learn that it's just God stirring up a blessing for you, then you will be able to glory in your tribulation. You say, well, Mike, I mean, what good is it to glory in tribulation? Because the word of God says tribulation works patience. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. And hope is the basis of our faith. So when God stirred, when God used Saul to stir up Jerusalem, Acts chapter 8, verse 5 says an inter interesting thing about Philip the evangelist. Word of God says, then Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ after Saul was wreaking havoc in Jerusalem. And the multitudes heeded the things spoken by Philip. It's only when God stirred up Jerusalem did Philip open up his heart to Samaria. You see, there was a whole city waiting on him that might not have ever received Christ if God had not stirred Philip up. So it makes me wonder what God has waiting on you on the other side 
of this test right now. Let me close with this and I'll hurry. In Africa, their banks, for security reasons, they have two sets of automatic doors as you, uh, as you go in. And the first time that I used them, I was walking up to the bank and I walked in. I was in a hurry because, you know, Starla wanted to go shopping and she needed some money. And so I was in a hurry. I had to get in there and get out. Well, the first door opened up and I kept walking. Well, my nose ran right straight into the second door. Well, the bank employees got a big kick out of that. The guard was trying to tell me to wait, but I didn't want to wait. I was embarrassed. My nose hurt. I was about to hurt the door. But then I realized that the second door is not going to open until the first door closes. And you can't force it open because it's not time yet. But if you'll have a little patience and let the first door close completely, then the door that you couldn't open up before opens right up and you stroll right in. God wants someone here today to know that he's about to open something up for you that you couldn't open yourself. But he has to close the first door. God is saying, for everything I shut in your life, I'm going to open up something that's going to take you further than you've ever been before. Because as the Bible says in Corinthians, your eyes have not seen, your ears have not heard, neither has it entered into your heart the things that I have in store for you if you love me. A long time ago, I learned when my mom would bake that the ingredients that make a cake delicious don't necessarily taste good by themselves. Have you ever tasted baking, baking powder or Crisco? Well, friend, the reason why your life looks so bad to you right now is because you're looking at one thing at a time. You're only looking at one ingredient. And I know what happened in your first marriage didn't taste good. I know what happened on your job didn't taste good either. And I'm, and I'm not minimizing any of those things. I know they were painful. But you see, when you realize that all the ingredients work together for the good of those who love the Lord, that all of the things, all the issues, that they work together to make a delicious cake that God is going to bless you with, well, then you understand that that thing that you couldn't deal with by itself is really just God stirring up a blessing for you. Bow your heads with me if you would. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Friend, I wouldn't trust anyone but God to fix my life. And if you're here today and you're going through a personal tornado, a time of stirring, God is saying, trust me. Just trust me. Now there is someone in this room today that God wants to save. And there is a gift down inside of you that he has placed there and he wants to stir it up. Today is your day. If you'll accept him. There's someone else here today that's a backslider. And God is drawing you back to him. He is speaking to your heart right now. And today is the day of your salvation. 
So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if God is speaking to you about turning your life over to him, I would ask you to raise your hand up right now. God is talking to you right now. Thank you. Thank you. If God is speaking to you, if you're a backside or first-time convert, God is speaking to you, just slip your hand up. Just going to wait a minute. Well, friend, you're blessed today because the Savior is here and His blood has been shed just for you. Maybe you're here today, you're a Christian, you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, but you admit that you need to be stirred up a little bit. Would you raise your hand? My hand's up. Absolutely. My hand is up. Thank you. You can put them down. Would you stand with me all over this room? Altar workers, elders, would you come and take your place around these sacred benches? The singer is going to create an atmosphere of worship. And these altars are open right now. I invite you to come. While I'm speaking, you don't have to wait. If you have to step over somebody, I promise you they will not care. This is a congregation that loves you, and they would like nothing more than to be able to pray with you. Friend, I want you to know the power of God is available to save you and set you free. So if you need prayer today for anything, if you need prayer for forgiveness of sin, if you need healing in your body, if you need prayer to be stirred up, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I invite you to come as a singer sings.